You're listening to a podcast from St. Barts. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Well, it'd be great to keep your Bibles open, so you might like to have them in Acts chapter 2 as we continue in our Being Human series. We're actually looking at a few different parts of the Bible today, but that is a good place to have open, so Acts chapter 2. There's also an outline on the back of the news, so there's translation points there in English, Korean, Dinka, and Simplified Chinese, if that's of help to you. Right now, let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us, and we thank you that as we are enjoined to your Son, that you gift us with your Spirit and also make us into a people. Lord, would you please help us to delight in that more, to grow in our understanding of what that means, and really flourish as a people for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of uh, last year, the New Yorker wrote about a brand new development in the heart of the city called The Set. Uh, The Set is a high-rise development that promises to fulfil basically every human need, where you eat, sleep, work, work out, relax, receive healthcare, and even where you connect with other people. They're trying to fulfil the need for community. The article headlined, You'd Never Have to Leave. The set, a new bubble inside a bubble in Hudson Yards, lets residents eat and sleep and Zoom and work without ever touching the pavement. Now, they're trying to sell it as a vertical utopia, but to me, it sounds more like a nightmare dressed as a daydream. But you can see the need that they're tapping into, of how convenient it would be. But also that they're angling, they're trying to fulfil a much deeper human need, the need to be connected to one another without the, the pesky risk of being too close. You can do it on your own terms and retreat back to your own apartment when it gets too uncomfortable. Since COVID, research has consistently pointed to the epidemic of loneliness in Australia. In some ways, we have never been connected more and also more realised the need for connection, yet we're not connected. One study, one study out of Swinburne in Melbourne, actually found that one in two Australians feel more lonely since COVID than beforehand. Another study suggested that despite there being a renewed focus on community and a reprioritisation of relationships, many Australians are feeling lonely and disconnected. Australians are most likely to say the biggest negative impact of COVID-19 has been on their social health rather than their financial, mental or physical health. Almost three in five Australians have experienced increased feelings of loneliness. We live in an age of unprecedented individualism, yet also record levels of loneliness. Part of being human means we are made for community. Not just raging extroverts, but all of us. It's part of how God has created us. And our need for community is more than just an antidote to our loneliness, but both gift and responsibility. Being humans 
means being communal. So let's look at that, consider that in three parts today. God's vision for community, the fragility of community, and also the future of community. So let's start with God's vision for community. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone's filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. One of the heartbeats of the Bible, even bookending, beginning and end, is not just a vision for community, but that God's vision for humanity is a community. So we see that right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 17. God saying, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and me and your descendants after you to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be the God. That's right at the beginning. And as we go to the end, Revelation chapter 21, we read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and I will dwell with them. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We are made in the likeness of God, who exists in eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who has arranged us to not only relate to one another, but also to together relate to him as a people. God's vision is for a people. That is what we look forward to, and that is what we are. The life of the local church is meant to be a taste and a glimpse of the fulfilment of that vision. That's the snapshot we see of part of the life of the early church in Acts chapter 2. That this is a community gathered around God's word, sharing fellowship, breaking bread, praying, serving one another and praising God. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We don't have time to consider every aspect, every activity that shaped the pattern of their life together. But note, if we just take a, a step back, note the distinctive dimensions that really define them as a church. The relationships ran vertically, horizontally, inward and outward. So let's look at those one by one. So vertically, this is a people characterised by saving relationship with God through Jesus. Uh, horizontally, they are characterised by an abiding, self-giving relationship with one another, the body of Christ. Uh, inwardly, they're empowered by God who dwells in their midst in the power of his spirit. Outwardly, they're propelled and they participate in God's mission, pouring out his love and good news. And that's not just in principle, it's not a hypothetical, because we witness that time and time again expressed in tangible, practical ways. So vertically, we know that in Christ, every barrier for anyone to come to God has been removed. This community that we read about radically transcended the ethnic, socioeconomic and the gender divisions of the day. Uh, horizontally, it wasn't all smooth sailing, but it's incredible that we read that whilst the early church were beaten, suffered and persecuted, we almost never read of anyone being lonely. Inwardly, they gave thanks for how God was at work in and through them, 
they had a palpable realisation, delight and gratitude that God was in their very midst. And then outwardly, they weren't a cult or a commune with closed doors, but together participate in God's purposes, proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the world in word and deed. They're not a club joined merely by common interest or activity. They're not a commune that hives themselves off from the world. And they're not a cult that is defined by the whims of a charismatic leader for their own purposes. But this is a community defined by their relationship with God through Christ, joined together as Jesus' body, empowered by Jesus' presence in their midst, and commissioned to participate in Jesus' saving purposes for the world. And remarkably, just as the early church gathered, when we gather, it is a glimpse, even with all of our rough edges, of who we are as God's people. We're part of God's people, of course, even when we're apart, when we're scattered. But when we gather, it's like seeing and feeling all of that in high definition. Or as John Stott put it, the church is meant to be the kingdom community, a model of what human community looks like when it comes under the rule of God and a challenging alternative to secular society. They will be my people and I will be their God. Now, when it comes to thinking about Christian community, I think there are two pretty common but two faulty ways of approaching it. One way is to expect perfection, okay, at one end, and at the other end would actually be to expect too little of Christian community. If we take first expecting perfection, well, not only are we inevitably going to be let down, but our connection is always going to be tenuous. It's always going to be conditional on how well we think the community is performing. Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with the hard things. But if you're here for the first time, let me be the the first to say that this is an amazing community, a genuinely amazing community, but it is far from perfect. We're a bunch of sinful people striving to live in the likeness of our Saviour. We're broken and fragile. Now we're going to unpack that more in a moment. We can't expect it to be perfect. But also be careful not to expect too little A Christian community is not an add-on or an optional extra or a religious alternative to a club. That's absolutely light years away from the breathtakingly beautiful vision that God is working out in us. There's all sorts of things that can hold us back from investing in community. It could be we've been hurt. It might be because we think our needs aren't being met or we don't have anything to offer. But sometimes it's because we just don't see how important community is to God. Sometimes we can just be complacent. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, that that we all might take one step closer in community. It might mean releasing something we're holding back. It might be giving of ourselves in a new way. It might be looking out for someone else, including those who, who can't, gather as well. 
If you join us online, it might be actually just letting us know that, that you're there. Taste and see. Even actually when we see a gap, when we see a problem in the community, a way in which if we addressed it, our community could more strain towards the goal that God has in mind, well, that might be God prompting you to take an active part in that. Second, the fragility of community. The New Testament is not only filled with, with beautiful examples of community, but also one which is plagued with problems. So if you can quickly turn over James chapter 4, otherwise you can just trust me to read it for you, James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Now, whenever the Lowe family go away on holidays, we usually like to share some photos online, you know, with family and friends. But I have to tell you, it might come as a big shock, we just post the highlights, okay? We post all the photos where everyone is smiling and happy and delighting and having fun. We don't post photos, usually, of the tears and the tantrums. But, you know, the New Testament doesn't apply that sort of filter. There's many wonderful examples of beautiful Christian community in the New Testament, but significant sections are dedicated to addressing problems that they were facing and often the problems from within. There's really no escaping that significant portions of the New Testament are actually letters, so correspondence addressed to Christian communities and Christian leaders addressing problems from within the Christian community itself of disagreement, of division, of disunity. And of course, part of letting others down is just our human finitude, we have limitations, but also part of it is our sin. That's the exact point that James is making. What causes quarrels and fights and things that are worse among you? The desires, that is the, the sin that comes from within. That brokenness in all of us can spill out in opposition, hurting and harming community around often say that community has the most incredible way of multiplying out our strengths, but also has potential to multiply out our weakness. So much of what James was addressing was when the desires of one person puts them at odds in opposition to the desires of another. That's what James says is operating the way of the world. I need to look out for me. But Christian community means serving Jesus and our brothers and sisters first. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that anything goes. That doesn't justify sin or give us some sort of spiritual excuse to ignore it. But it means recognising our own fragility, the fragility of our community, and therefore tenderly loving it. Sometimes we can withdraw from community or we can take a step back from community because we've been hurt or harmed. I am so sad and sorry if that has been your experience. You know, I have hurt people and I've been hurt by people. And for some, 
that hurt has carried an immeasurable cost. How I long that part of the healing for anyone who has been hurt is not to withdraw, but to feel saved and loved in coming home. Uh, sometimes we withdraw from community for other reasons. It, it might be because we simply just don't value it as much as we should. Other times it can be because we actually approach community with a bit of a consumer type of way. That it's not doing it for me, or my needs aren't being met. We can all probably reflect that at different times. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to consider what may God be asking of you. Because just as God loves you, he also loves his church. As the author to the letter of the Hebrews put it, as he encouraging the people to keep on persevering, says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In order to keep on persevering in our faith, we need each other. Not only do you need people, not only do I need people, but people need you. And so when we withdraw or hold back from life of Christian community, you might not feel like you're missing out, but people are missing out on you. One of the peculiarities since COVID, one of the changing patterns of behaviour, it seems, is that a lot of churches and early research is indicating that actually regularity of, of gathering as God's people has actually dropped. Now, of course, there are lots of good reasons why people can't always gather. I totally understand that. But if this is the early signs that something is shifting culturally within Christianity, in which are more likely to dip in and out, well, I think that's something we should address sooner rather than later. We live in a hyper-individualistic world which is at odds with God's vision for community. It's not only part of God's vision of who we are and who he's creating us to be, but your brothers and sisters in Christ need you as well. And when you're missing, they're missing out. If we dip in and out, how can we possibly consistently spare one another on toward love and good deeds. So recognising the fragility of community, that should show us all the more how much we need it, uh, that we're less without one another, discipling, befriending, uh, welcoming, encouraging, serving. Christian community is a key place where we express and grow the fruit of the Spirit. It's a key place where we express and grow the gifts of the Spirit. It's really where the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit really get a workout. God invites us to take our part in the building up of his church, uh, to honour him for the blessing of those who know him and for the salvation of those who do not know him yet. Third, the future of community. Uh, time and time again throughout the Bible, new creation is pictured as a wedding. So with Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. It was really so wonderful yesterday here to celebrate the marriage of John and JCL. So right here in this very room, such an, a joyous occasion, and I'm sure they had a wonderful feast afterwards as well. But of course, that wedding, that wedding is just the beginning. 
The image in the Bible is that when Christ returns, it will be like a wedding banquet. Yes, we are already enjoined to Christ. He's in our midst. He's the one whom we serve. But we can look forward with every confidence that when he returns, community won't be pushed aside, but we'll actually experience the untarnished beauty of what it means to be his people and he our God. Christ did not just die to redeem every one of us, but God loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sometimes I think we can have this picture of new creation in which it's just us relating to God one-on-one, doing our own thing. Sometimes we can think that the church is basically a temporary thing, but that's not how the Bible sees it. The future is not less community, but community in perfection. No more hurt, no more harm, no more frustration, no more division, no more disunity. So just think, whatever your best, your absolute best experience of community has been, I really hope you have some best experience of community, but whatever the best experience of community is, that is just a glimpse. And whatever your broken experience of community has been, God will make it good. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. When you read the, or some of the accounts of the early church, especially the first few centuries of the early church, there, of course, was stacks of problems, all sorts of problems that you might never envisage, but they basically had them all. Uh, there were lots of sharp divisions, just as we sometimes see today. But extraordinarily, even amidst that brokenness and the messiness of that, their love for God and for one another was so phenomenal that it also spilled up and out and over in the most remarkable of ways. And so, for example, they were known widely for their love for one another. One major sociological study of the ancient world points to the nature of Christian community being something altogether unique and different the world never seen like before. Tertullian basically said, oh, look how they love one another. So they don't kill each other like all those pagans do. Well, actually, they're willing to even lay down their lives. They're willing to be killed for one another. And, of course, they're also known for their love for for others. Uh, The early church were among the first in the ancient world to provide international aid to offer city-wide support for the poor or to systematically make efforts to free slaves or to provide free burials or offer the first health care, the first hospitals to those freely, to anyone who needed it. So these communities were living signposts not only to what Christ had done, of what he had empowered them to do, but also that which was yet to come. Patrice and I, along with the kids, we have the, had the great privilege of being part of a number of Christian communities over the years and almost 10 years at St Bart's. And I can honestly say that it is the most extraordinary privilege. Of course, it's not always easy, but without being an active part of God's people, I don't know where I would be in my faith. I think if I or anyone suggests that you could do it on your own, Well, that's being naive or something worse. And it's certainly inconsistent 
with God's purpose for us. One of my greatest delights, one of my greatest joys in being part of Christian community is not only myself being nourished and spurred on and challenged, not only being supported and loved or being constantly astounded by how God is at work in and through others, or of people bearing with me and I with them, of people becoming reconciled and sharing God's purposes, but also that my kids get to not just hear about the hypothetical vision for God's community, they get to experience the beauty of that through you. Maybe there's someone here today, and you're thinking, I would love to be part of Christian community. I just want to say that when you trust in Jesus, you don't only become enjoined with him, but you become a member of his church. And just like you need to grow and express your relationship with God, you need to grow and express your relationship with one another. Don't underestimate the gift and the responsibility that God has entrusted to us. The modern vision for the world says we are our own, that we belong to ourselves. But God's vision for the world is that we would be his people and he would be our God. God has made us into a people, his people. And when he returns, he'll transform us into a whole new humanity. Let's pray. Precious God, we thank you for the extraordinary ways in which you pour out your love and your grace to us and in the world. Lord, we thank you that as we put our, son, our trust in your Son, in Jesus, that we can not only have every assurance of salvation, not only receive the great gift of your Spirit, but also you enjoin us as a body, as your people. Lord, we are so thankful for the ways in which we get to express that and pour out your love to one another. Lord, we're sorry for the times in which we fall short in all that you envisage for Christian community. Lord, we're so sorry for the times that we have hurt, harmed or neglected brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, please forgive us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has been hurt, that they might know the comfort of your love and that you might be at work in the power of your spirit, healing, reconciling and in joining us together as a great reflection for your love in the world. Lord, please help us to grow in the way that we express our gifts and the fruit of your spirit your glory and for your kingdom in great anticipation of that which is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.